Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. My name is Crystal and I am the host of Stories from Palestine podcast and also a licensed tour guide by the Palestinian Ministry of Tourism. Together with my colleague Salim, we are organizing three 10-day programs this year to discover Palestine. There is still space in the upcoming program mid-March and also in June and October. We travel around the West Bank, Jerusalem and Jaffa with small groups, maximum 10 people. We provide historical background, we introduce you to the Palestinian heritage, and we make sure that you get to meet a lot of locals. We stay in family-run hotels, and we also spend two nights with Palestinian families. We do some short hikes, easy hikes, and during the October program, you can also join a day of olive harvesting. If you are interested, then check out our website for more information. I will ask Roberto if he can add a link to the show notes of the podcast, but you can also write it down. It is storiesfrompalestine.info. Welcome to Jerusalem Unplugged, the only podcast dedicated to Jerusalem, its history and its people. Your host, Roberto Matza, will bring you guests discussing their relationship with the Holy City. A journey through history, society, feelings and hopes for the future. Follow the podcast on all social media platforms at Jerusalem Unplugged. Welcome to Jerusalem Unplugged, the podcast dedicated to Jerusalem, its history and its people. I'm your host, Roberto Mazza, and today it's with great pleasure that I want to talk about a topic that is very dear to me. And I want to share with you ideas and thoughts about teaching Jerusalem. In other words, how to teach the history of Jerusalem. While the bookshelves of countless libraries around the world host at least a book on Jerusalem in any possible language, to be honest, a superficial browsing of classes taught about the city's history reveals a different picture. Writing and publishing material about Jerusalem is as easy as it gets. But to teach about it, it is a complete different story. Given the long history of the city, the possibility to discuss many historical periods, ethnic and religious groups, politics, diplomacy, religion, eschatology, cuisine, art, medicine and even crime, it is quite puzzling. 
that not many scholars have offered in the past and are offering in the present courses making Jerusalem their center. Is it a pedagogical question? How to structure a course on such a monumental history? Or is it a political issue? The fear of delving into a divisive and complex topic? Whatever the answer, the problem is that lack of teaching equals to great ignorance about the city and the creation of stereotypes or misinformation. Its history and its people can be reshaped according to ignorance. But more importantly, it fuels the perpetuation of old stereotypes and the creation of new ones. So today, I want to try to survey some of the courses taught highlighting the content, approaches, readings and goals set in the syllabi under review, particularly those that are taught at college level. While the purpose is to review and not to be prescriptive, I will also try to suggest topics and readings for a more comprehensive, less religiously focused and more independent kind of a way of teaching the history of Jerusalem and at large of Palestine, the Arab-Israeli conflict, Ottoman history in the region, and so forth. So I want to share with you ideas, and maybe some of you are teachers, whether in high school or even in college, and maybe you're going to pick up some ideas and offer courses about Jerusalem and making Jerusalem the very heart of that course. Before delving into some questions raised by the empirical analysis of a sample that I gathered from different universities, uh, mostly produced and taught in English, uh, let's discuss briefly the matter of teaching a contested subject. The assumption is that, generally speaking, the history of Jerusalem is a contested one, asserting, in fact, the difficulty to teach the history of a city decontextualized from the current social-political situation. That one that actually has been in existence for seven decades so far. One wonders, to what extent is even possible to teach Jerusalem history without being theological, given the constant presence of news relating to the city's past, but connecting with the present? In other words, how can we teach the history of Jerusalem without thinking about all of the connections to the present? That's very hard, indeed. For instance, the archaeological excavations taking place in Silwan, and we had several guests talking about uh, this particular topic, have an impact on the current residents. Palestinians, obviously, mostly. Israeli historical claims clash with the security and needs of the local Palestinian population. Digging is preceded by bulldozers that remove the present in order to make room for a possible past. Well, it's probably better saying that indeed there's a past be below those houses. But I said possible because often these archaeologists have already an agenda in mind. They're not really interested in about all of the layers, but they want to find a specific layer that supports their claims. So how can one teach without reading history backwards? This is indeed one of the most difficult challenges, yet not the only one, when considering the holy nature of Jerusalem, one needs also to take into account religion. And while religion per se is not the cause of problems, divisions and controversies, the agencies, the agency of those who follow a particular religion has, as proven by history itself, created the conditions for which religion itself 
has become a sort of common denominator for Jerusalem, one that is contested and claimed at the same time. Jewish exceptionalism as chosen people has been then adopted by Christian and Muslims. What is not exceptional, however, is the fact that through the lenses of religion, Jerusalem has become a city known around the world. And therefore, its history is also at the center of world history, a perspective that should not be forgotten when teaching a course on the history of the city. History of Jerusalem, however, is also the history of the urban fabric, its people, a local regional context. While the two can certainly be studied and taught separately, I would argue it would be a good practice to keep them in conversation with each other. The global and the local. And paraphrasing the work of Deepesh Chakrabarti, it is impossible to write and teach history of Jerusalem without world history. So world history would be rather weakened without the history of Jerusalem. Think about the fact that Judaism, Christianity, Islam, so more than half of the people uh, on earth belong to these religions one way or another, they obviously have Jerusalem at their heart in different ways, but certainly Jerusalem is central to their religious practices. Another general issue to consider is periodization, that is the chronological division of Jerusalem history. And we saw here on the podcast we had many guests talking about the various historical periods of the city of Jerusalem. Given the more than 5,000 years of history, it is, seems rather impossible to teach a course covering this chronological ground. On one hand, it is certainly true that a syllabus covering millennia may eventually turn to be too general, in fact, probably superficial. On the other hand, a strict historical division may provide a sketchy historical comprehension of the city's history. We can't really separate uh, the Mamluk rule from the Ottomans one, putting a line because uh, uh, the Ottomans arrived in the city in 1517. Uh, I mean, obviously, there are continuities, but also disruptions that have to be taken into account. I personally believe there is no real solution to this conundrum. However, considering periodization, it is imperative to avoid a teleological reading of history. In other words, we cannot read history backwards and understand the past in light of our present. However, this is not enough. We should also avoid teaching Jerusalem history, projecting the past into the present. One may consider the division of Jerusalem, for instance, in quarters, a legacy of the Romans. But that does not mean this division as defined groups relations in the city in the following centuries. And more importantly, that division does not reflect the current understanding of the four quarters in the old city of Jerusalem. And I would like to refer you to the episodes with uh, Matthew Teller discussing the more than four quarters of, uh, of Jerusalem. Now, indeed, the Romans divided the city in quarters, which was a common feature of Roman cities, also the kind of uh, uh, grid. And indeed, the current urban structure of a city is loosely based on that division uh, following the Cardus and the Cumanus, so sort of these, uh, you know, two main, major roads crossing each other, which are still identifiable in the city today. But it was the British in the early 20th century, after taking control of the city in 1917, that envisioned the old city as a static space, one that did not change since the times of Jesus and Roman rule. The projection of ancient history into their contemporary context 
distorted the understanding of intercommunal and intracommunal relations and created a false narrative for which communities could not exist or actually could not coexist and therefore should have been segregated according to ethnicity and religious identity. And once again, the previous guest of the podcast, Michelle Campos, talks about her work in identifying you know, all of the uh, uh, sort of uh, intermixing that took place in the old city of Jerusalem. So there was obvious not a clear-cut definition between Christian, Muslim, Jewish and Armenian quarters, but we have plenty of overlappings. The dangers of selectively teaching history and of suggesting analyzing the past through the lenses of our presence are not just a disservice to students, but more importantly, they have the effect to create future generations of potential misinformed community, religious and political leaders, unable to comprehend the complexity of the history of Jerusalem and its multidimensional development. Perhaps in the end, this is one of the main reasons why only a handful of courses are taught in English-speaking academia, but also, as far as I did with my research, also in other languages. And I was expecting, to be honest, to find more in Arabic, but I didn't. The perception of dangers and problems overcome the benefit of engaging in the pedagogical exercise to teach a history of Jerusalem. Let's now try to build a syllabus, a reading list, suggesting ideas about which topic to cover. There may be some readings for you to engage with. So, the process related to the construction of a syllabus is first related to two major questions, chronology and themes. And here I'm just going to talk about chronology. I would like to also um, you know, discuss the question of themes, which would probably allow students uh, you know, to be free from chronology once that is being covered rapidly and to focus on specific themes, whether it's about gender, whether it's about politics, whether it's about religion and others. But here I'd rather talk about chronology because also I think it's uh, more covered in terms of readings and books and it would be more you know, interesting to see how we can uh, offer courses at any level really about the history of the city. From a chronological perspective, the first question is, when do we start? And while there is a common acceptance by scholars that a prehistoric human settlement was located in the southern hill near the Gihon Spring, Historians and syllabi tend to start with the Early Bronze Age, also known as the Canaanite period, a period that, for which we have more sources available. Now, while this period may be little disputed among scholars and politicians, later periods are often the object of controversies and claims, reflecting the current politics of Jerusalem, rather than the state of historical research. And remember, we had episodes with uh, archaeologists telling us how you know, current political leaders are engaging with uh, archaeologists and excavations um, just in order to prove their own claims rather than, in fact, trying to discover the history of Jerusalem or Palestine. Now, the second period to be added to the syllabus would certainly be what we may call Jerusalem in the First Temple. In other words, the rather long period from 1000 BCE, more or less, and 586 BCE, which is the date for the Babylonian destruction of the city, and of course, of the First Temple. Now, it should be said that already the definition First Temple is quite problematic, as it suggests an inward look at the city, one that does not look and take into account the larger historical regional context. Jerusalem was not an isolated city, obviously, and you know, just uh, defining the First Temple is about defining only one specific feature of Jerusalem. Yet, 
you know, for, it's, it's very convenient, and I guess it helps us to understand more or less the period we're talking about. A look at this period is look at uh, uh, science and religion, a look at archaeology and the Bible. And so there are plenty of readings that may help, uh, you know, a teacher, but also students to familiarize with, with this period. Obviously, bearing in mind that already the very fact we're talking about this period of time, there may be, you know, materials and articles, chapters, books with claims in mind rather than proper historical research uh, that is defined by the idea of a discovery rather than proving claims. I believe that a good way to tackle this period would be to tell students that while it may be possible for archaeology to support religious texts and religious texts to provide information about the past, one needs an open mind. As it is possible, archaeology and historical research may reveal, as it actually has happened many times, largely different stories than those described in sacred texts. I'm not here to criticize or say that the sacred texts are all wrong, not at all. But as we know, sacred texts have been edited throughout time. And it's sometimes we can date them, sometimes we cannot. And so it's possible that, you know, archaeology will tell us and already told us that certain events may have occurred, but not necessarily following the chronology of a Bible, for instance, but at different periods of times. A second large chronological section should be looking at the city from the Babylonian conquest and destructions of Jerusalem to the Asmonean era which preceded the arrival of the Romans. Obviously, it's not a long, long period of time. And uh, in fairness, I must say that uh, the, the book by Simon Montefiore, Jerusalem, the biography, despite being a popular narrative, offers certainly a, an excellent introductory reading uh, to this period of time, taking the students through the nearly five centuries separating the destructions of Jerusalem by the Babylonians uh, and the one uh, by the Romans, or at least by... Um, Six, uh, 64 BC, when the Pompey terminated the Seleucid kingdom and eventually opened the door for the Roman rule of Palestine and, of course, of, of Jerusalem. Now, while covering several rulers of Jerusalem from the Persians through Alexander the Great and then the successor ruler under the Ptolemaic dynasty, the Seleucid and lastly the Asmoneans may sound a tour de force. For students, too many, too many things, and you know, the chronology is filled with uh, uh, events, and also for teachers, because we have to remember that teachers have to pack all of this in succinct but also uh, non-superficial lectures. The reality is that it can be tackled rather smoothly. However, I realize that more attention should be paid to the short rule of the Asmonians, also known as Maccabees, mostly because of the connection with the. Uh, present. Now, again, I don't want to read the present in light of the past, but I want to highlight the fact that the rule of the Maccabees has become so important, particularly in you know, Zionist thinking, that it's important to know what that was and how that became part of Zionist thinking, Zionist historiography. So the Maccabees ruled between the 2nd and 1st century BC, and the reason is uh, the fact that it's very appealing to Zionists is that these were Jewish zealot rulers, uh, in a sense that they promoted, you know, Judaism and Jewish identity, and it became a sort of model of Jewish rebirth for uh, Zionists. Moving along the chronological line, several classes should be certainly dedicated to what we may call Roman Jerusalem, which essentially started with the capture of the city by Herod, 
obviously held by a Roman legion, who became the last. There are other short-lived Jewish rulers after him, but certainly sort of for a longer period of time, we can certainly say that Herod was the last uh, Jewish ruler of Jerusalem. Herodian Jerusalem is undoubtedly a very intriguing chapter that saw many urban developments, including the expansion of the temple and the erection of two palaces, including the famous Antonia Fortress. Herodian Jerusalem is also the stage of the life and death of Jesus. While most of his pastoral work took place in the countryside of Galilee and Judea, uh, also crisscrossing uh, occasionally Samaria, Jerusalem became the focal point of Jesus' final days, making the city the heart of Christianity in the centuries to come. So, a lecture on this period, I believe, should also include the most recent scholarship on the Romans, and how scholarship has changed in recent times, showing that the colonial rulers were not, all not at all neglecting the city, and Pilate and the Emperor Adrian actually invested uh, resources in improving Jerusalem and Palestine. Well, let me say here, perhaps it would be worth showing the students the famous movie by Monty Python's The Life of Brian, with a particular focus on the famous songs What Had the Romans have Ever Done for Us? Whatever the case, however, the Romans also are responsible for the destruction, once again, of the city in 70 uh, CE. And Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn and has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Obviously of the temple. Now, while focusing on the demolition of the temple, I believe a chronological study of Jerusalem in any syllabus should focus on the very much neglected history of 
the then known as Elia Capitolina, when Jerusalem was not just renamed, but made into a Roman Byzantine city. It would be important to remind students of the various demographic changes occurred in the city. The fact that the Jews were not allowed to reside, and the most common languages were Latin and Greek, for instance. It would also be important to focus on the urban changes, given the city was essentially redesigned into the urban environment, which we can still see today, as I said earlier, in many ways. Before the arrival of the Muslim armies in 1638, a number of events are certainly worth mentioning, in order to show that chronology is not a linear sequence of various rulers, but a messy one, which includes, for instance, the restoration of the Jews by Julian the Apostate, in the late 4th century. Even though for a short period of time, we have to remember this. We also have to remember the Persian invasion of Jerusalem in the 7th century that allowed a short-lived Jewish rule of the city under the shadowy figure of Nehemiah from 614 to 617. While Byzantine forces were able then to recapture the city for a few years, the Arab conquest was looming as Islamic armies were expanding throughout the Middle East. So nothing is linear, and I think this is important to remember that there are bumps along the way, and sometimes we forget short but very important period of times. Chronologically speaking, 638 uh, is generally acknowledged as the beginning of Islamic Jerusalem, and I really want to refer you to the couple of episodes I dedicated with an amazing guest discussing Islamic Jerusalem. What does Islamic mean? in this context, is certainly a very interesting question, one that, uh, again, Murad Suleiman told us and answered through a number of his works. The city was transformed as a number of buildings were erected and or renovated to celebrate Islam. Yet, the majority of the population was not Arab nor Muslim. And it's only a couple of centuries later that we have a shift where the majority of the population Arabized, that doesn't necessarily mean that ethnically speaking, uh, the population became uh, uh, Arab in that sense, just Arabized in terms of language, and certainly converted to Islam. What is crucially important here is the link between Jerusalem and the Quranic story of the night journey, which has given Jerusalem, Al-Quds in Arabic, a holy status for Muslims that was added to previous Jewish and Christian state of holiness. The long history of Islamic rule, which to an extent includes also the period of the Crusades, can be divided in the periods of the Umayyads, the Saladin dynasty, the Mamluks, and obviously, lastly, the Ottomans. As earlier, nothing is linear in chronology, not only because of a century-long gap filled by the Crusader rule of Jerusalem, but also because of external events like the Mongol invasion of the Middle East in the 13th century also influenced Jerusalem as a whole. In relation to the Crusader era, the amount of the material available suggests a sort of inflated interest in this period, mostly because of, uh, you know, these are Europeans, so we need to know more about them, which in any case represented a short interval in the long chronological time. Other than discussing the events and the legacy of the Crusades, we can all look at the famous work of uh, Tyler Mann on the Crusades, and obviously also the book by Montefiore tackles the, the, this period uh, very nicely and it could be a very good starting point. I believe it would be interesting to explore the history of the city through its architecture and fate of many of the holy places spread throughout the urban fabric, so it would be rather innovative to focus on discussing 
The women were old, for instance, some more effective than others. Not that there have been many, but some women attain an important status. And again, we had the guests discussing the so-called Queens of Jerusalem. You can certainly go back to the episode with Catherine Pangonis. The study of the four centuries of Ottoman Jerusalem, moving forward, should certainly start with a discussion of the decline of the Mamluks, which again, deserve a full class, but also with a deep contextualization of the Ottoman conquest of the city in 1517. Suleiman the Magnificent not only contributed to rebuild the walls, but more importantly made Jerusalem an imperial city connected to a vast empire stretching from North Africa to the gates of Vienna. And I think this is an important period to understand how Jerusalem became once again a globalized uh, urban space. And not just in terms of uh, the religious significance, where obviously Jerusalem was known all around the known world at that time, but now, because it was part of his polity, Jerusalem once, was once again at the center of a geographical space. While it is arguable that during the long Ottoman rule, Jerusalem experienced a variety of different positions within the empire, it is safe to say that after the reconstruction of the 16th century, until the mid-19th century, the city was a peripheral town of the empire, but central in terms of religious significance, which was not diminished. It is also true that Jerusalem remained quite isolated from many other trends occurring in the empire, and yet, at the same time, was part of the same empire receiving news and, you know, seeing a slow but growing number of travelers and pilgrims, which obviously culminated in the 19th century. Yet it would be a mistake not to focus on its internal dynamics and employ a rather orientalistic view of a city as immovable, backward, dirty, irrelevant, and so forth. The study of a local institution reveals how local Palestinians engaged with and cooperated and rebelled also against the Ottoman administration. The emergence of the ruling families of Jerusalem it is certainly worth a class on its own, as the legacy of the socio-political process is one that has consequences for contemporary Jerusalem. Some of these, the families that emerged in the early Ottoman era as notables are still relevant today. Obviously, Everything changed after the war of 1948 and even earlier. But, you know, those names are still uh, important and resonate with the local Palestinian community. Now, a key date in the modern chronology of Jerusalem could be set with the arrival of Napoleon's army in Egypt in 1799. While the French general never reached Jerusalem, his so-called civilizing mission, mission, Mission Civilisatrice, set in motion a series of events that changed the history of the city. And now here we have the long 19th century, which offers the possibility to teach at least two classes looking at the Egyptian rule of the city and later the return of the Ottoman administration, with a focus on the changes occurred at all levels, administrative, demographic, political, economic, social and diplomatic, which also includes the arrival of a large number of foreigners in the city with a diverse set of goals of mind. For instance, uh, you can go back to the episodes when we discussed the American colony, you know, this group of Americans and then Swedes that arrived in the period of time, but also the German Templars and others, and all of them with different goals. With the beginning of the 20th century, I believe the history of a city should also be contextualized in the developing history of nationalism, 
which would include both its Arab and Zionist and also Turkish elements. Our good friend of the podcast and of myself, Louis Fishman, has argued that Palestinian and Jewish Zionist identities developed in a local context that was part of the Ottoman Empire. And I think one of the most important contributions of his work is that he reminded us that nobody could have imagined was going to be fully disintegrated in a relatively short period of time. Certainly there were a lot of speculation about the possible future of empire, but no one, no one could have thought or even imagined that by 1918 the empire would have been dismantled. The complexity of the late Ottoman era is the byproduct of changes for the most part fostered by external elements, including the British conquest of the city as a result of the outbreak of the First World War. And again, a previous guest and a good friend, Abigail Jacobson, noted that Jerusalem changed ends, but at the same time remained an imperial city, from the Ottomans to the British. However, this time around, Jerusalem became part of a giant global empire, stretching all continents, which made Jerusalem part of vast network of people and trends. And I remember when... Uh, uh, Sarah Irving, for instance, talked about the earthquake in Palestine and how some even Indian travelers were affected by uh, that earthquake and, in fact, died in Jericho. And, you know, those Indian travelers were traveling there because they were part of the British Empire. And so you have all of these people from different nationalities and ethnicities able to travel through and to stay in Jerusalem because of a connection created by the British uh, Empire itself, now controlling Jerusalem. So the history of British Jerusalem is one that cannot be oversimplified, focusing just on the administration or Zionism, urban changes and violence, which are all important elements. But I think a good class should also focus on social history, particularly on those gaps in between violence in order to discuss how the local population negotiated their lives transitioning from violence to peace and vice versa. Perhaps you remember Yael Cohen when we were talking about 1929. He, he told us how, uh, you know, we focus so much on violence and then we forget that between 1920 and 1929, we have nine years of relatively calm and peace. And, you know, we should focus on that period. And so between 1929 and 1936, between, you know, the, the Western uh, Wall riots and the beginning of the Arab Revolt. 1948, obviously, and the war should certainly take one full class, possibly two, always depending on how long we have uh, in terms of time, right? In order to take into account various elements, including military operations in the city, like the defense of the old city or the attack on the Adassah convoy, and also had a discussion of events that occurred in the Yassin and other suburban areas which today are fully included within the borders of Jerusalem, but obviously back then were you know, in the outskirts, like Lifta. Given the controversial nature of this historical period, the emotions raised are, and the political controversies, I, I believe it would be important to highlight the variety of historiographies available on the Nakba, its denial, and the creation of the State of Israel, including the seminal work, for instance, uh, by Salim Tamari, Jerusalem 1948, which is a great collection of essays about this period of time. Following the events of 1948, I believe that a class should be certainly dedicated to the divided city, something we don't know much about, 
comparing and contrasting the two different trajectories of West and East Jerusalem, it should be highlighted that sources about Jordanian Jerusalem are scanty and teaching this bit might be challenging but also interesting as it could help students digging in order to find material. And if I really want to say something about pedagogy, I would suggest focusing, as mentioned earlier, less on violence and more on the gap between violent events and on daily life of Jerusalemites, on both sides of the fence, to bring back agency to these people and not just to focus on violence. Moving forward, obviously 1967, the war should be briefly mentioned in order to provide the very much needed context to discuss what happened to Jerusalem in June of that year. Yet events are not enough, and a solid analysis of the terminology employed, particularly by the Israelis, should be at the very center of this class. Occupation, conquest, capture, reunification. These are all loaded terms, in one way or another, that cannot be overlooked. As well, we cannot overlook the destruction of the Maghrebi quarter, and the beginning of Judaization of East Jerusalem should be a key component of any class looking at the late 60s and early 1970s. It is always complicated to draw a final line to the chronology of Jerusalem for a history class. Some may say that it would be better not to engage too much on contemporary issues, as it would be more the realm of politics than history. However, I believe it is important to link all previous classes to the contemporary, without assuming that the present is just the sum of past events as it will help students making sense of what they have learned and use it for a different purpose, other than just knowledge per se. I personally would close a course on Jerusalem highlighting the position of a city in the intense history of a so-called peace process, which one may say has been one of the most controversial points uh, in all rounds of negotiations from Madrid onwards. The other aspect I would personally highlight is the role of archaeology its politicization and weaponization in order to control and dispossess Palestinians in East Jerusalem. So let me say a couple of words concluding these episodes dedicated to teaching Jerusalem. And perhaps you can consider that, whether you are teaching in college, in high school, or you, know, you may have a chance to teach classes about Jerusalem out there, perhaps if you are a tourist guide. The constant evolving history of Jerusalem, coupled with the relentless work done by historians, archaeologists, anthropologists, and researchers from all disciplines, makes the work to teach Jerusalem and its history an evolving task. Let alone academic research, one has to consider the politics of the day. This very day, when I'm recording this, a minister of the State of Israel, Smotrich, just declared in Paris that well, Palestinians do not exist. These people never existed. Palestine never existed as a concept. It was only created in the 19th century, but never really existed. So you can see how history is very important. And it could be a remedy to a lot of uh, uh, problems. So let me go back to, without digressing too much, what I was saying here. On one end... Many right-wing-led governments, while preaching to make history a central element in their educational reforms, they cherry-pick what should be taught. 
de facto reducing the possibility of critically teaching history. On the other hand, left or centrist governments, in the attempt to be as inclusive as possible, create curricula almost impossible to teach, given the amount of time available. I comment, you know, some programs I've seen, but it's impossible. You can't teach all of that in a semester. So how can you do that, right? And certainly this is true in secondary education. But similar trends are visible in higher education, which is growingly led by commercial financial principles and driven by the needs of students to find a remunerative employment after college, instead of focusing on the educational mission that should lead any educational institution. We live in a time where you go to school in order to learn something that then you can use in order to make money. And, you know, history is not really that kind of field, to be honest. But yet, history is used by everybody. And we're becoming more and more ignorant. Now, this is again a larger debate. The history of Jerusalem, then, despite its relevance in many contexts, is lost to politics and other reasons. Hypocritically, the name Jerusalem attracts worldwide attention, but its history remains largely ignored and partially appropriated by groups in order to support claims of ownership and primacy. Thank you for listening to this solo episode of Jerusalem Unplugged, and I'll be very happy to provide you with all information about the classes I taught on Jerusalem and the material that I used in my classes. Once again, thank you, and stay tuned for the next episode of Jerusalem Unplugged. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to support the podcast, please share it with others on social media or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Jerusalem Unplugged. Thanks, and I'll see you next time.